Hello everyone and welcome to the Inspire Your Life podcast with me your host Aarti Rabikrishnan. I believe we find inspiration all around us, especially from the stories that we all have in us. My aim with the Inspire Your Life podcast is to bring some of those real stories to light, stories of my guests that resonate with you and me. It's by listening to these stories that we can be inspired and motivate ourselves to overcome find a new path and rise even higher than we thought possible Joining me on the show today is Nadine Hack and we will be talking about humility and connectedness Now Nadine is someone who you can call a change maker and in fact Harvard University and IMD Business School have called Nadine a master bridge builder. I absolutely love that term, Nadine, because of her work with, excuse the pun there, because because is the name of Nadine's company. Nadine was named the top 100 thought leader in trustworthy business behavior, and it's been done so often She's actually earned a Lifetime Achievement Trust Award. That's just incredible. An award just for you because <laughs> you've gotten that, Nadine. It's incredible. So she consults for and trains senior leaders from all sectors across the world to really help them to clarify their goals, tackle those obstacles in their way, and really emphasize the importance of creating and sustaining relationships. Nadine's currently working on her book called The Power of Connectedness with a foreword by the recently late Nobel Peace Laureate, Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu. Um, And and I know you you really must have been, it must have been such a difficult time for you, Nadine, and we'll talk about that. Now, of course, I've mentioned um, Nadine's company. It was also named the Best Stakeholder Engagement Fund, but she's also got a sister nonprofit called Global Citizen Circle, which convenes tens of thousands of people across the world to tackle problems like leadership, diversity, equity, sustainability, all of these things happening in the 21st century. Nadine is also the first woman executive in residence at IMD Business School. What an accolade. And she served on boards for so many profit and non-profit enterprises, including being chair of the Desmond Tutu Peace Foundation. Nadine, you've won so many awards and honors internationally. It's incredible. You do share your insights on talks and platforms like TED Talks, Forbes Councils, and so many others. You know, I can go on and on and on about you, but you Truly an inspiration and a remarkable woman. So Nadine, absolute pleasure and welcome to the show today. Thank you so much, Arthi. It's a delight to be with you. Thank you. And, you know, we obviously know there's a bit of a South African connection because of your work with the Archbishop, the late Archbishop, and you've met so many people in the work that you've done. But, you know, I think one of the things I want to touch on with you, and I kind of want to go straight to it because there's so much of interesting things here, is, you know, you've actually had so many experiences um, dealing with being in the presence of humility um, and particularly 
in the year 1994. So I want to know more about that. And I want to share that with our listeners, if you could share. Certainly. So in 1994, my husband, Jerry and Dunphy and I were profoundly honored and deeply humbled to be invited as guests of state to Nelson Mandela's 1994 inauguration. Mm-hmm. And we stayed at the home of uh, Sis Adelaide Tombo with Kenneth Kanda, and we were seated in the family section with Joe Slovo, Tokyo Sekwala, Sheila Sasulu, other South Africa luminaries, which was all incredibly humbling. Mm. Um, I, and it was such a moment. I, I, I try to explain to people that it was historic, not just in the sense of history books, but more like the biblical sense, like when the Red Sea split open to let the escaped slaves free, flee across with Miriam leading the way, singing a song. And I wrote in my journal that week um, that it was difficult to pinpoint the moment of most profound recognition of this remarkable event. Perhaps it was watching Madiba with his hand over his heart as we sang Nikosi Sikilela, Africa, a, a, a hymn that until then, as you know, was the band Black African National Anthem. And then keeping his hand over his heart as we sang Distemban South Africa, which until that day had been the Africana National Anthem, the official song of the apartheid state. And along with the new flag, which melds the colors of every each of the country's main political parties, Both songs were now joined to become a new national anthem. And it it was just, um, I'm getting goosebumps even as I describe that. I'm feeling goosebumps hearing you talk about it. I mean, I mean, I, I obviously was was there, but watching on television is very different to actually being in the thick of this, as you said, historic moment. And I was so much younger, so I was still kind of figuring out and understanding. Um, but wow, what an incredible. Incredible time for you to have been there. What did it feel like for you being in the being at that moment when this big tide of change was happening? Well, it was truly extraordinary because if you had even asked us a decade earlier, like literally just one decade, you know, will you be standing at Nelson Mandela's inauguration? Most people would not have been able to envision that as being a possibility. I mean, having supported the anti-apartheid movement since the 1970s, which was the natural outgrowth of our work in the U.S. civil rights movement of the 1960s. And by the 1980s, we were working directly with Oliver Tambo, or as we called him, O.R., who, as you know, was president of the African National Congress that entire time that uh, Madiba was in prison. And we were working with the ANC Executive Committee in exile, primarily in Lusaka, Zambia, but in many other places, helping to support the families of their many fallen comrades by setting up an education scholarship fund for for their children. And um, so a, a moment that really sticks with me is um, it's December 1988, and we're in a muddy Lusaka, Zambia graveyard as the wind was so strong, it almost blew everybody off our feet. Jesse Jackson Jr., my husband, and I were the only Americans other than members of the media at the funeral of Johnny Makatini, who was 
such a close friend. And he had headed the ANC mission to the UN starting in 1977, and then the ANC International Affairs Department, which later Tabo and Becky took over, uh, starting in 1983. And Johnny, I think, is probably exemplary of what we feel we learned from South Africa and the whole idea of Ubuntu. I am a person through my relationships with other people. He was gregariously warm to every human being he met. met. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he constantly was expanding his global support network. We became like family. And if I was woken up by a 3 a.m. call before even answering, I knew I'd hear from the other end of the line, hey, man, I was just thinking. And it was always Johnny, you know, calling from Cairo or some other distant place on the planet, ready to brainstorm, completely oblivious to time zones. Mm -hmm. To me, he embodied what it means to be a connected leader. And with his death, I realized even more deeply what a powerful force he had been in movement building, convening people from around the globe to work together on behalf of a larger purpose. And one person sparking thousands of others. And I think we can all learn from that lesson because no matter what it is we do, like Arch Tutu always said, it's all the little small bits put together that that make the big change. And that's really true. And, And if I have any message that I think I've learned and I try to remember and I'd like others to hold in their heart is do whatever you can, wherever you can, however you can, because your little bit is a, is a stone in, in a pond and, and the ripple effects, there's just no way for you to really know how profound those ripple effects can be because we are truly so inextricably interconnected to each other. Mm, beautiful, beautiful words. I, I can't agree with you more, Nadine. Um, you know, and and we've seen the the effects and the impact of you know mo- having that movement of interconnectedness actually happening, and how it can stimulate change and and growth and development and all of these positive things that we want. And of course, we're seeing it in other spheres too, right? Even on on topics like sustainability and climate change, where we need to get people coming together like that, you know, things happen. Um, decisions that were... Honestly, I, yep, sorry. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> Go for it. Honestly, I think that whether you're talking on a familial level, I mean, think about how many families rupture for like ridiculously small things and they, don't, you know, or on a kind of community tribal level and or on a national or social or in the work sphere i mean sustaining hold creating and sustaining relationships yes is what makes everything possible and it's not it's it, it see it sounds duplicitously simple but it's actually hard work. It's actually keeping that in your consciousness at all times, like always knowing I have a choice. I have a choice to try to engage with someone who comes from a different background than me, who has a different political perspective than me, who is in a different sector than me. You know, whatever, whatever the differentiation is, I have a, a choice. And 
actually, since I've been building multi-sector partnerships since the 1970s, you know, bringing together business, government, civil society, engaged citizens, I really know that no one individual and no one organization or entity in and of itself can solve these problems that, as you said, cross they're, they're cross-national, they're cross-border, they're cross-gender, they're cross-racial. I mean, climate change doesn't, you know, recognize the, the map, nor does the globe, do global pandemic yes. or anything else, actually. Everything is connected. And so the work of, and also it's the thing that I think people forget the most. Mm-hmm. They, they, they tend to think of it as a soft skill. You know, like human relationships or, you know, we've got the hard, you know, the financials and the quarterly reports and the marketing and the, no, unless you have the people, you can have the most beautiful, brilliant strategic plan, but unless you have the people who have the buy-in and feel the ownership of it to actually execute against it, it's not going to happen. And people tend to underestimate how important it is to invest in that engagement in 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 involving people in decision making processes there's actually a lot of research that shows that if people are conferred if they're part of the process even if the ultimate decision is not what they their choice they're more likely to go with it than if a choice is made, which is what they would want, but they weren't involved in it, in the decision making. Yeah. So, so you know, it, it, it's good from a, a moral, spiritual, uh, karmic kind of, but it's also good for the bottom line. Mm-hmm. I mean, to get things done, you need other people. No one can do anything on their own, regardless of how brilliant they are. Absolutely. I mean, isolation. Yeah, there's only so far that you can go. And, you know, I'm listening to the to the depth, you know, as you're talking about interconnectedness and and I know you've borne witness to such, you know, historic key events in in history and you've just you know you've taken us through one of them. But but you've also seen all of these phenomenal people these these change makers if I, if I can call them you yeah. know that's even watering it up but you've watched them you know fight for freedom you know bring people together and I can only imagine the impact it's had on what yeah. you do today yeah and I'd love to know more about that and that journey on your end so I'll start with a story from when I was six years old <laughs> yeah. Um, because a lot of it I learned from others, but there was also something in me that made me drawn toward the people who I learned it. Mm-hmm. So my husband is Irish Catholic. I'm Russian Jewish. We were married by Arch Tutu, who's an Anglican. He performed the ceremony in Kosa. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're very eclectic. When I was six, I, my universe was Jewish. And I went to Hebrew school and my Hebrew school teacher was teaching us about the Jewish high holidays, which for those who don't know, it's Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the year. Yom Kippur is the, and on Rosh Hashanah, God writes in the book of life. And it's a kind of karmic principle based on what you did in the last year, you know, good or bad is what's written into the book. 
And then you've got these 10 days of reflection and prayer and repentance. Repentance as in coming back to yourself and is in going to those, you know, forgiving those who have trespassed against me as I forgive those, you know, and asking to be forgiven. So for anything that you've done that that you don't think was fair or right. And then on Yom Kippur, the book is sealed. Okay. And so I raise my hand and I say, but what about the Gentile? Because at that point in my life, not only do I not know Buddhists or Hindus, or I don't even know the denominations of Christianity. I just know Jew, Gentile. That's all I've been taught. Right. So I said, what about the Gentiles? And my teacher says, oh, don't worry about that, Natana, which is my Hebrew name. We're the chosen people. Mm. And I found that answer so profoundly disturbing, Mm. so profoundly disturbing Mm. that for the whole 10 days, my six-year-old prayer went something like this. God, I'm praying for all the Gentile families in the world because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. So it's not their fault. You have to forgive them because they don't know. The Jewish families know, and they're they're doing what they need to do, and they're okay. So I'm praying for all the Gentiles. So obviously there was something in me, some spirit of Ubuntu in me. Like I came into the world with it, but then that also made me drawn toward people like that. So I was very fortunate that in my teens, my two mentors were Shirley Chisholm, who was the first black woman who ran for president of the United States, but I met her in the 60s when she was early 60s, when she was first running for the New York State Assembly. I lived in Brooklyn and and Bella Abzug, who is in America, one of the kind of founders of the second wave of feminism. You know, in, in, in America, we call the first wave the suffragettes and the second wave, you know, the ones in the 60s, 70s. And then there's a third wave. And I'm sure now there's many more waves of, of wonderful feminists and feminists do not have to be women. Anyone who cares about equality is a feminist. Yes. Um, but, but Shirley and Bella taught me that issues of racism, sexism, classism, militarism were inextricably interconnected. And if one wanted to solve any one of those issues, one had to deal with all of them. It's what today's organizers call intersectionality. This was long before that term was in the lexicon, Mm -hmm. but it was, and I just, you know, took it in. Like, it just was like, yes, this is, this is what I'm going to be about building coalitions, about bringing people together, about building bridges, because that's what our world needs. Yes, yes. Oh, I mean, it's in, it's incredible, incredible to note that, you know, these are themes and issues that just continue through each sort of decade, you know, building on, yeah. on, and, and you've, you know, you're talking about some phenomenal women and men and these experiences that you've had with them in terms of mm-hmm. the humility you've seen in others. And of course you yourself imbibing and, and, and putting forth so much of humility in what you do, Nadine, you know, maybe help us and and the listeners and and subscribers to understand how does that connect with this idea of Ubuntu and interconnectedness? How does it work hand in hand? So I think that when I was young, 
I really believe that we were going to change the world totally right then and there. Right. <laughs> it was the moment. Remember, I was young in the, in the early 60s and the movement, you know, just got stronger and stronger through the late 60s of, you know, the civil rights movement, the women's rights movement, the, the and as I say, that led to work on human rights issues globally and, and, and uh, social justice movements internationally. It, it was a moment in the world. And, mm-hmm. and I really believe we were going to do it right then and there. And so I had, I, I saw it as a sprint. I had to run as fast as I could, as hard as I could, because like everything was going to get done now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then a few decades into that, <laughs> I began to see that many people who worked on social justice issues and liberation movements mm-hmm. became extremely burnt out because you're exposed on a daily basis to the cruelty of humanity mm. and, and 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 you're trying to help people who have suffered horrible injustices and it can really wear your soul down and i just had a recognition that i needed to find a way to learn how to renew myself and replenish myself and and look at it more like a marathon you know that, that I would be in it for the long run. Yes. And then even more decades went by and I began to see it as a relay race. Okay. And I realized that I will not see in my lifetime the complete fruition of everything that I've worked for. Mm. However, I have a sacred obligation as long as there's breath in my body to keep carrying the torch forward. Because people before me yes. advanced things to a point where I could pick it up. And people after me, I am so inspired by young organizers. It's where I get all my hope. I mean, wow, the things they're doing are just extraordinary. So there's several generations after me who are doing it. And I'm still in the relay race. And just knowing that that in that relay race, we're not only connected across the not all the other ways, but we're connected intergenerational, uh, intergenerationally. And it's like a kind of perpetual human cycle where there's always voices of darkness, of control, of fear of the other, you know, at the, at the, at the least disparage them, at the worst destroy them. But there's always been voices of light and hope and openness and take in the hungry, feed, you know, shelter people, be generous, form. And I just decided that it's a healthier way to live, to, to be a voice of life, light and to amplify other people who are voices of light. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I urge everyone to do. Mm. It's the, the best we can do. Beautiful. And, and I mean, I, I, you were talking, as you were talking about, you know, what was happening a few decades ago around burnout, the parallels are similar to what's going on over the last couple of years since COVID-19 reared its head. People are running around, trying to figure things out, sometimes on their own, not necessarily with support. And I'm just wondering, have we had we actually come to a stage where we're bringing more connection and interconnectedness? Could this have played out differently? And and I'm wondering, Mm. what's your thoughts about this in terms of if we have to bring it into our lives today in this global pandemic? What benefit could this have going forward? 
So at the end of December, I wrote an article on LinkedIn. It's very easily accessible, Nadine Heck. And I called it um, the importance of self-care during the time of COVID and other during COVID and other times of duress. Right. Because people are fatigued. It's been um, people are isolated. People feel alone. People need ways to nourish and to connect. And, you know, some of the Zoom, like what we're doing right now, I'm feeling very connected to you. And I sense that you're feeling connected to me. And so anytime I organize any type of online event, I try to create that intimacy rather than webinar fashion where it's just talking heads and you know it, and and it because if we're just sitting in our chair watching things be broadcast at us it, it can be very tiring mm-hmm. so I always encourage interaction like if we had more people on this call like I would have said something and then asked people so what do you think about that mm-hmm. and and try to bring them into the conversation because I think that that it everybody is hurting in different ways obviously some far greater than others. And unfortunately, disproportionately, people of color, um, people of less financial means. And, you know, this is true across the board. It, it preceded COVID. It will follow COVID, you know, but but it's exposing. It's exposing the inequities that exist globally. And there's a, I feel like there's a growing movement of people who are getting committed to saying, we need to address these inequities, access to healthcare, access to education, access to housing, you know. Yes, yes. And, and, and I mean, I, I feel it too. And, and, you know, I'm hoping my generation and the younger generations, we're seeing it. We're seeing that momentum starting to build. It's just not good enough now to sit and just talk about these issues, as you're saying. Maybe. Exactly, exactly. Action is required. And yeah, I think it's like, when, yeah, yeah. When you see, um, when you see, think, reflect, act, listen, learn, lead. That's one of the taglines of Global Citizen Circle. Listen, learn, lead. lead. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad that you've, you mentioned Global Citizens again, because I know you've been busy with projects. I'm sure you're busy with projects at the moment. I mean, what are some of the key things you're doing at the moment and you'll be pushing for in the year ahead, Nadine? Well, Global Citizen Circle is approaching its 50th anniversary. So we have a Forward to 50 campaign over the next year. Um, Our next Global Citizen Circle will be on February 3rd. It's on climate change and as a social justice challenge. And again, just type in globalcitizencircle.org. But even if you don't do the .org, you'll get there. You can click on the link to register. Anyone can register from anywhere in the world. It's it's uh, conducted 10 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time U.S., which is for me 4, 4 to 5.30 in European time. I know it's a little late for people in India, the other parts of Asia. It's in, And it's very early for people on the West Coast of, uh, of uh, the U.S., but we, we usually try to do them. This particular one, I, I think, was scheduled for 10 rather than nine because it's just the time that it seems that the largest number. And in fact, 
hundreds of people from all over the world. And exactly the way I described, they'll all be on the screen. And the discussion leaders, one is from South Africa, Bob, Bobby Peak. You may know of him. He's a climate activist from South Africa. Yes, beautiful. Um, but they, they just open with like five minutes of opening remarks. There's three of them. And then the 90 minutes is a facilitated dialogue among everybody who's on. And it's not just like the kind of webinar where like, you know, at the end they have 10 minutes of Q&A. No, it's like the whole thing is dialogue. And it's not like where the moderator says, oh, so Arthi from South Africa wants to know. No, they go, Arthi, you have a question. Put it on your mic. So, So everybody gets to engage and interact. And afterwards, we always get amazing feedback like I felt like I was in the room I felt like I was part of a global community I didn't feel alone I felt supported and because I came I connected to another person I mean we had one where we had a former neo-nazi um it was on healing and 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 um and there was a woman in 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 participating who was the first black woman police lieutenant in the New York city police department and she said i'd really like to follow up with tony mcaleer the former neo-nazi white supremacist and we put them together and a whole set of activities happen from that and so that's what we're about is convening connecting and letting the ripples go out to the world lovely that is impactful purposeful work. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm, I know I'm going to be dialing in. I definitely want good, to. Good, good, wonderful. Um, and I'll definitely make sure it's available for our subscribers too. So I'll put it into the show. Wonderful. Notes. Put the link and I'll, I, I even have a, I've created a shorter hyperlink so I can send you that you can put in so people can easily find it. Find it. Beautiful. Thank you, Nadine. Appreciate that. And, you know, you've you've given us such wonderful stories, um, you know, and, and we're, we're sort of coming to the end, which is a pity. I would love to continue. Yeah. But, you know, I think as a way of rounding up, because there's so many interesting, inspiring, motivating bits in each of the little stories. And you've already given us some nuggets in terms of what we should be thinking about when it comes to the power of interconnectedness, you know, to take the name of your book. But what what pivotal piece of advice would you want to share with our listeners and subscribers today about how they can find their true path, you know, their own freedom, um, and how can yeah. they harness this power of connectedness for themselves and their well-being, as well as for the wider societal impact that it can have? So I often say that the difference between highly competent, highly accomplished people and great leaders is the depth of self-awareness. The more that a person is willing to look at themselves honestly and own all the parts, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because we're all a melange of different things. No one is, you know, we're all Mm -hmm, mm multidimensional. And to be conscious and willing to be vulnerable about one's weaknesses and to convey to others, I don't know this. You know, when you tell someone in a conversation, I don't know that. Mm -hmm. Then well, they're much more likely to listen to you when you say, this I really know. <laughs> that take the time to look inside, be silent and find what moves you. 
Okay. Because it's going to be something different for everybody. And try to connect. And, and when you interact with others, connect from that place of, you know, being deeply connected to yourself. And that it's likely going to make you, first of all, far more happy <laughs> and far more compassionate of others and their shortcomings because you can recognize, okay, we're all a mix of good and bad and far more capable of achieving great things because you're, you're engaging. Yes. So, so connect to yourself first before you try to connect. I mean, it's not like separate. It's not like you wait until you're fully connected. That's a, that's a lifetime journey. I'm still on it. Absolutely. But no, we got you there. We absolutely got you there. Um, you know, I, I'm feeling inspired. I don't know. I'm sure when my when my listeners and subscribers see this too, they'll they'll definitely feel as inspired as I'm feeling having this conversation with you. And I, I guess let me just end off our conversation by asking you, Nadine, do you have a spiritual or uh, or something uplifting, something motivating, a mantra, a, a a quote, a song lyric, something that motivates and inspires you to keep doing what you're doing? Yeah. So there's a beautiful song that was inspired by Ella Baker, who played a key role in the American civil rights movement. And it was inspired by her life. And it goes, we who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Until the killing of black men, black mothers, sons is as important as the killing of white men, white mothers, sons. We who believe in freedom cannot rest. We who believe in freedom cannot rest until it comes. Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. And yeah. Many more verses to that song, but that's the first one. <laughs> that's uh, that's a brilliant call to action, if there ever was one. Absolutely. Nadine, thank you so much for your time and for being on the show with us today. It's been such a pleasure and honor to have you share your insights with us. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Arthi. See you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining me on this episode today. If you like what you heard, rate the episode and podcast and feel free to write a review. Plus, of course, share with others too. I love talking around topics like these. So if you like my perspective or insight on a subject close to your heart or something that you're grappling with, reach out to me in your comments or send me an email via my website or connect with me via LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook. All my social media are on the podcast information. If it's important to you, then it's important to me. So happy listening to the Inspire Your Life podcast and catch you soon on the next episode. Bye.